the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. message is entitled Big Picture People. Big Picture People. I'm not talking about movie pictures. I'm just talking about people who see the big picture. Turn to Habakkuk. Easy for you to say, Pastor. I probably won't say it right again the rest of the day, but turn to Habakkuk. The second chapter, verse 1. Habakkuk. (laughs) See, God's got a sense of humor. Somebody named their kid Habakkuk. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. If anybody finds it, tell the rest of us where it's at. All right. Right before Haggai and Zephaniah. Right before Zephaniah. A page number? I don't know. Uh, your Bible may be different. Mine's 1474. It depends on how big the print is in your Bible. All right. Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read it in the King James Version. That's my original language once I got born again. But I switched to the New Living because it's easier to understand. But I still love my King James. It says, I will stand upon my watch. How many of you want that to be said about He stood upon his watch. And set me upon the tower and I will watch to see what he or God will say to me. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. You know what reproved means? Corrected. How many of you in here would be able to say, I stand on the tower and watch for God. And I listen for His voice and I am willing to be corrected. Because a lot lot of people are willing to be corrected. And you know what? God can't use somebody He can't correct. You want to write that down. That's a good note right there. Many people want to be in leadership, but they know it all and can't be corrected. And guess what? Nobody puts them in leadership. I don't know where I'm just, I'm automatically on a rabbit trail today. Focus, focus. Okay, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, and he said, write the vision. And make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. How you like that, King James? He's saying, write it down. Make it plain so that you can see it and so that you can run with it and you can be it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. How many knows God's got his own schedule? The vision is for yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So it's coming. 
The vision is coming to pass. Wait for it. At the appointed time, verse 4, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. In other words, if your soul is lifted up, meaning that you're on the throne, not God, not God lifted up in your life, but your soul is lifted up, what does it say? It's not upright. You're not standing right. You're not doing these things. But those who will stand on the wall, those who will listen for his voice, those who will be corrected, those who will listen and do what he says do, will see the vision come to pass because they're living by faith. They hear the word, they believe the word, and they do the word. Today we're going to reveal our long-term vision. Finally, we're going to answer our where question. Where is the Passion Church going? We've answered who we are, why we do what we do, how we're going to do it, when we're going to do it, and now today we're going to discuss where we're going, the vision. Amen. You ought to be excited. You've already been told what it is earlier this year, but now we have condensed it into a a banner forms, we've written it down, we've made it plain, we're going to keep it before our eyes, and we're going to see it come to pass, we're going to run with it. Now, I know in the body of Christ that there's some confusion sometimes about planning, because there's certain scriptures that seem to be contradictory. Uh, they said, well, I thought it said, you know, well, let's see what, what it says. Turn to James. There's certain scriptures in the Bible that I hear people use and say, well, I don't, you know, I'm just here for today. I only think about today. I'm not making any plans for the future. Because James 4.13 says, Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. James says, well, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. See, pastor? Brother James says, you don't know what's going to happen. How are you making plans? Well, if you read on, in verse 15, it says, what you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Planning is not bad. Just planning outside of God's plan is stupid. God's saying, I want to be involved. I want your plan to be my plan. I want to be in it with you. Not just your little pretentious plans. Something that will make your life matter. I heard people use this next one. Go to Luke 12, 19. Jesus is telling a parable. And uh, this farmer's done hit it big. He's done had a bumper crop. And he's got so much stuff, he, he knows that he can live off of this grain that he's harvested this year for the rest of his life. And in verse 19, he says, I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have stored enough to store away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. How many of that's your goal? You got that 401k going. You got that retirement plan. You're, you're saying 23 years, two months, and 24 days, and 15 seconds, man, I'll be out of here. I'm punching that clock for the last time, and I'm getting me an RV, and we're going to hit the road. <laughs> then I'm going to live. 
And some of you saying, well, I already got enough money. I'm just going to stop doing anything worthwhile now. I'm just going to relax and live my life. Well, what does is, what is God say in verse 20? God said to him, you fool, for this very night you will die. Then who will get everything you work for? See, pastor, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is God is saying he doesn't want us to plan for the future. Keep reading. <laughs> Verse 21, God continues, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. See, earth, if you're busy storing up earthly wealth, you're having a hard time having a rich relationship with God. Because you can't serve both mammon and God. Hello? Now, if you serve God, he'll give you some mammon. All you need. But if you're serving mammon, you can't serve God too. You got to make up your mind. See, God don't care if we plan. He wants us to plan. He just wants it to be his plan. And he wants to be involved in a rich relationship every step of the way. So yes, planning is a good thing if your plan is from God. If, you're, if your own little pretentious plan is so that you can store up earthly wealth, then that's what God says you're being a fool about. Hello? But see, you see, he's not going to allow his blood-bought, Holy Ghost-filled, word-taught, children of God, to spend all their time building bigger barns for their own comfort when there's a whole field out there white for an eternal harvest. He's got a bigger plan. Say, look at your neighbor and say, maybe God's got a bigger plan. He does. The Lord wants to show you a better way. Write these scripture references down and study them later because I'm going to go through them. We ain't got much time. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Aren't you glad that you don't have to depend on this? Anybody that would be honest with themselves. Seek his will in all you do. There it is again, his plan. And he will show you which path to take. See, if we would use this wisely, we'd be seeking God with it. And with this as well. Proverbs 19.21 in the message translation say, We humans keep brainstorming options and plans, but it's God's purpose that prevails. Aren't you tired of your own get-rich-quick schemes that lead to nowhere? Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your actions to the Lord's and your plans will succeed. Because they'll be His plans if you commit your actions to the Lord. Exodus 33 15, Moses wisely said to the Lord, if you don't personally go with us, don't even make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me and on me and on your people if you don't go with us? That's what sets us apart. Your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. That's how we know that we belong to him. Because his presence is supposed to go with us. His purpose is supposed to be in us. Our life is supposed to have significance. 
It's so sad to see people on drugs and alcohol wasting time, wasting their lives in dead-end jobs that God never ordained and plans and purposes and spinning around the same old mountains in the same old ruts year after year, day after day, unhappy, thinking, well, I'm not letting nobody tell me what to do. I, I probably shouldn't say this. But I usually do. Angie said, don't say it then. <laughs> I have a heart for all kind of ministries. And I've done a lot of ministry to homeless people. And, and there is a, I shouldn't say this. But there, there is a majority of people that live under bridges. That's where they want to be. And you can minister to them and you can feed them and you can preach the gospel to them and you can try to help them and you can try to get them a job. But when the day is done, they're going to go back under the bridge because that's where they want to be. Until, until we can find a way to touch their heart and show them the bigger picture. We're bigger picture people. We've got to find a way to show people that want to live under a bridge how to come out, why they should come out. They've got to know their why. Because some people just want to shut off. I don't want responsibility. I don't want a plan in my life. I just want to make it through. Some of you may be not living under a bridge, but you're living by the TV guide. Oh, man, I'm really getting off. What would you say, Angie? People don't have TV guides anymore. You're living by the remote. I don't know. Let me get on to something that's on my message, okay? What are y'all doing to me? That's the loudest you ever did. Give her a big round of applause. Usually it's like a choo. All right. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't send me. But Moses wasn't always that smart. The first 40 years of Moses' life, say 40 years, 40. he spent trying to do things his way. He kind of had some good ideas. He wanted to save his people, Israel, though he grew up as an Egyptian. But he thought he could do it in his own strength, like most young men. They want to do life in their own strength. Go out, be a man, do your own thing. I'm not following nobody. Nobody's telling me what to So he went out, and what did he do? He killed an Egyptian. He did things in the flesh. He didn't listen to God. The next 40 years, he spends running from what he did the first 40 years. Say 40 years. 40 years. years. <laughs> He's out in the wilderness now. He's running from his past. And he's going through, a, I guess, a long season of humility building. And that's where many of us find ourselves, in the wilderness, not engaged in God's things because we haven't come to a place of humility. We haven't had our burning bush experience yet because we won't take off our shoes in holy places because we won't allow God to be on the throne. Well, he finally has his burning bush experience and he gets the vision. Then he begins to carry it out. He spends the next 40 years 
Say 40 years. 40 years. On the mountaintop. No. Back in the wilderness, circling round and round. Moses, 120 years, never crossed into the promised land. What can we find out? What can we learn from Moses' journey? It was only 11 days from Egypt to the Jordan where they crossed over by foot. 11 days. It took him 40 more years. But he was leading an unbelieving, a stiff-necked generation that didn't want to go in, was scared to go in. So just because you've had your burning bush experience don't mean it's going to happen right away if the people won't go. If the people just want to look at it and say, that's good for somebody else, Boy, I'm preaching real good. It's not me. Because I can't preach real good. Was Moses' life a failure? God said Moses is the most humble man on the whole earth. God spoke to Moses face to face. He called him a friend. He wrote the Ten Commandments, and gave them to Moses. Moses represented the law. Was Moses not an important man of God? But if you look at the years and the years and the years, the 40, the 40, the 40, you say, well, he's not doing anything. He's not getting anything accomplished. But he brought him up to the Jordan. He got the people there. Look, the law can never get you across. He's a type shadow of the law. The law can get you up to Jesus but it can't get you into the promised land. The law is our schoolmaster, like Tom said, to bring us to Christ, but it can't bring us all the way. It can't save us. Nobody is justified by keeping the law, but only by faith in Jesus. So what can we learn from his example? Well, one thing I see is God is patient. Some of you are saying, well, my life, I, I'm 63 and I ain't done Moses was 80 before he got his vision. I'm not going to ask, is anybody in here 80? But not a whole lot, I wouldn't imagine, and here's already 80. So you got a head start, right? But there are some things I think we could do to speed up the process in our life. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. Now, another thing, Moses didn't enter into the promised land, and this is big. Why? Because he stole God's glory when God displayed his power one time. And I wrote this. You might want to write this down. God's visions must be lived out for God's glory. I know it's simple, but it's worth remembering. God's visions must be lived out for God's glory. So now let's go to the more practical side. What are some practical steps to working towards a God-sized vision in your life? In a minute, we're going to reveal the church's vision. I hope that's going to be a big part of your life. But individually, we have our own 
lives as well, family visions, you know, different plans that God has for you and your family? What are some practical steps we can take towards making God's vision for your life a reality? These are some things I wrote. If you ha- Does anybody have your bulletin? Shake it at me. All right, on the back side, it's got my 10 that I came up with. I hope these are from the Lord because if they're not, I'd hate to see you next 40 years from now saying, Pastor, you told me to try this. <laughs> but I believe they are godly and scriptural. Number one, continually seek God. That's Christianity 101. But until you hear from God, until you get an audible voice or until you get the confirmation that you need, until the word jumps out and becomes rhema in your life and everything comes together and clicks and you know that you know that this is God's will for your life, move in the direction that your passion intersects with God's passion. Does that make sense? Okay, so I don't know exactly what God wants me to do, but I am passionate about children. So in the meantime, I'm going to see if I can volunteer in the back to work with children. Okay, I don't really like children. But I can't stand babies being killed in the womb. I'm going to find a place that I can serve a pro-life ministry. Not saying to go to another church, but there are ministries that you can join forces. And, and, and you can be a part of somebody who works in that direction. What is your passion? It may be something that, that really irks you about this country or the place that you live. I can't stand this and this and this. Well, if that's something that's so strong in you, then turn it around and use your passion to overcome that. Is If it's something godly. You see, where your passion intersects with God's passion, get started because God cannot steer a parked car. You've got to get the wheels in motion before you can get it going in a direction. And God, once you get it going, God will begin to say, okay, a little to the left, a little to the left, a little to the right, a little to the right, a little to the left. What was that song y'all did at camp? Deep. You go to the right. All right, well. God will show you to go to the left or to the right. All right? And and do this, and then more clarity will come, I guarantee you. If you're doing something for God, you got the ball rolling, you'll begin to get more clarity as you seek Him. And then, number two, do not limit God. Have a blue sky session. That means, say, okay, if there were no limitations, if money was not an issue, because some of us will look and say, feel like God's leading us to do this, but that would cost a million dollars. I've never had more than $100 in my bank account at one time, you know. And we're, so we just write that off, and God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, never mind, I'll catch you in 40 years. Don't limit God. Have a blue sky session. Say, okay, if, if money were not an issue, some of you are thinking, well, it's my ability. I don't have any schooling. If that were not an issue, if God were able to use you where you're at and finance your deal or whatever it is, what would you want to do? 
Don't limit God. Especially if you feel it's an urge from God. If you feel it's something towards that. Don't write it off. Meditate on it. Don't limit God. Dream as if you could not fail. Number three, write your vision and post it down. Put it, put it before your eyes and meditate on it daily. How many of you, if you've got a grocery shop, shop list, you go into the grocery store, you're going to come home with everything that you had on the list? How many if you go into the grocery store and you don't have a list and you had a few things in your head, you're going to come home and say, why didn't I get this? Why didn't I do that? Because you didn't write it down. You didn't make it plain. God gave us the instructions in Habakkuk chapter 2. Write it down. Meditate on it as you see it. That's one of the things I do and I encourage our leaders to do. I wrote me a list of things that I normally do on a normal day, and it's a checklist. So I don't have to rethink the wheel every day. Okay, what do I do on Tuesdays? Uh, what do I do on Wednesdays? And I spend all my time thinking there's something that's already could be written down, and I just check them off as I go. All right? Number four. Begin to study all the practical wisdom you can about your implement, implementation of your goal. I got one word for you. Google. Google. Bing. Okay, you may be a Bing person. But Google or Bing, it's a wealth of knowledge. Not all of it's true. Match it up to the Word of God. But hey, you can learn how to fix a washing machine, a dryer, a toaster, or a car. You know, I got my arms, you know, elbow deep in, in my engine fixing stuff. And I never even opened the hood before, you know. But I got a video on Google. So you can do it. Begin to learn. I'm, I'm just joking about Google. But begin to learn and study up on what you want to do and what God's calling you to do. Number five. List the practical steps to take in that direction. Write down the vision and then say, okay, in a year I want to be this far. Okay, how do I get to that year? If I get that far in a year, what are the steps to take to do that? Do that for five years, one-year goal, a five-year goal. Where do, where do you expect to see yourself? What's the progression to getting towards your goal? And, and we do that here at the church. Every year we have goals. Right now, it's the middle of the year, a little bit past the middle of the year. We're doing what you call a, a gap report. Every department looks at their goals and then examines where are we at. We said we were going to be here, but we're really only here. So what's the gap between here and here, and how do we get from here to here before the year's over? You see what I'm saying? But if you write the goals down and, and, and uh, you never meditate on them, you never look at them, and you never consider them, at the end of the year, you're going to be the same way you were before. you got to examine what you say and be a person of your word. It, write down attainable goals and set out to, and accomplish them. This is just practical teaching. Stephen Furtick says, stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you got. Stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you got. Your greatest limitation is God's greatest opportunity. Well, I can't do this. Well, now you're in position to let God do it through you. God uses the foolish things of this world, so hallelujah, I qualify. Number six, be patient and rejoice over every achievement you're able to cross over your list, cross off your list. 
Write down the things you got to do, and when you do one of them, celebrate. Well, I'm, I'm six months behind where I need to be. Forget that. Keep pressing forward and celebrate. you got to have joy for the journey. Don't beat yourself up. Just get back up the next day and try harder. you got to have joy along the way. Allow the Holy Spirit to make corrections because God can't use somebody he can't correct. Never venture outside the confines of biblical instruction. Okay? The ends don't always justify the means. God doesn't work like that. Do things God's way. Don't cheat at your business. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't do those things. Well, I need the money for the ministry. No, it don't work like that. (laughs) Number nine, walk with God daily to build your expectation. Only he can get you there. That goes back to continually seek God. That goes back to Christianity 101. Walking with God is going to be the power to get you there. He's going to help you make those corrections. And number 10, make sure your heart stays pure and that all you do is for God's glory. Don't, you know, I can't tell you how many visions have been train wrecked because God gave a man a vision. He wrote out a plan, took these, he took all nine steps. And then when he began to experience success in his life, God moved the mountain out of his way and he's riding on the you know, the clouds of glory for Jesus, all of a sudden, he begins to take credit. Look how great I am. All right, Moses, back on the other side. You're not going across. You can see it from afar, but you can't be it. Why? Because God doesn't share his glory. The plan, the purpose, get that firmly in your heart or don't even begin. Your life is for the glory of God. You were created to glorify God. Proverbs 16.9 in the message translation says, We plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. See, there's planning again. Without God, your plans mean nothing. You know, Jesus fulfilled his vision in only 33 years. He accomplished more than any one person ever. In 33 years, there's things we can do to, to speed this process up, we get, but we've got to be big picture people. We've got to see the big picture. P.K. Bernard says, a man without vision is a man without a future. And a man without a future always returns to his past. I went at Brother Chad's behest to speak at Warrior Ministries Thursday night. A bunch of men that I would say probably most of them keep returning to their past because they don't have a plan for the future. We minister at the jails and so forth. But I tell you what, no joy. if, If there's one gift that God has given me that I know for sure, it's the ability to speak to men and to be a big picture person and to be able to explain big picture ideas. I'm a big... I'm, I'm a vision man. I see big pictures. I don't, I don't want to get caught in the mundane little things. I won't see the big picture. And so, as I begin to explain God's plan for, to these guys Thursday night, and how God's not quit on them, and how some of them are so young and you think your life's over, look at, look at the, you know, 
the scope of eternity. Look at why you were created. Look at the big picture. You can see light bulbs going off all over the place, and men begin to have hope again. They begin to think, well, maybe it's not over. They begin to get excited. Proverbs 29, 18 in the message says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. See, these men just couldn't see what God is doing. They couldn't understand that, okay, my past can be my past at last, and I, God can use my past to help other people that are going through that. They couldn't see the big picture. They just could see their situation, and it's just gloomy, gloomy, gloomy. Are you ready to get a glimpse into the Passion Church's new banner? All right. Some of you are thinking it's going to be something foggy, but it's already been revealed to you, like I said, earlier in the year, but we just condensed it. All right. This is where we're going. All right. Passion Church will become a name synonymous with love, hope, purpose, and family. A place to find the real Jesus all over the world. We plant churches wherever God leads us by developing passionate people, true to our core values, who will continually expand and reproduce. They'll grow bigger, picture on the inside of them, and they'll reproduce it in other people. We'll develop leaders who will have the same heart that the Passion Church does, the same heart for family, the same heart for hope and purpose and, and being a heart of who we are, the DNA of who we are, and expand that in themselves and then themselves be planted as God leads into other churches community churches around the world as God shows us. And, I, you know, we've already talked about that in some detail, and we're, we don't have time today. Maybe we'll talk about that more later. But that's, you know, knowing your long-term vision helps our attitude along the way in life. If you don't know your long-term vision, you can get, Overwhelmed by mundane details. There was, there was three guys, bricklayers, was laying bricks. And one guy came up and he asked all three of them the same question. He said to the first guy, what are you doing? He said, what does it look like? I'm laying bricks. He asked the second guy, what are you doing? He says, isn't it obvious? We're building a wall. 
then he comes to the third guy and says, what are you doing? He goes, ah, we're building a mighty cathedral to God. Which one of those three guys do you think did the best job laying bricks? The one who knew his vision. He knew what he was building. He knew where he was going. And that's the way we're going to live, Passion Church, because we know we've got a destination. We're not just coming to church and punching the clock and going home and that's it and that's all the God stuff I have time for. You are part of something, a grand cathedral to God. Something God is building. No more just laying the br bricks. We are building something. Now, I was asked some good questions about this vision. And I love good questions. And a lot of times people come to me and they're very timid because, because of the position of pastor. And I guess maybe other pastors are not this way. And they, they're hesitant to ask questions or make comments. I like them. I like to be challenged, even if I don't agree with you or something. Because I like to have to explain my position because it makes me have to know my position. Okay? Somebody says, is this another man's vision? And I think they meant, you know, did this come down from passion leadership, you know, in, in another church? Is this, is this Pastor Steve Vickers? Did he tell you? Is that a... And I had to think about that. And I'll admit, it is another man's vision. And the man's name is Jesus. Because he said, I will go into all the world, preach the gospel. He told me to go and make disciples of all nations. That is another man's vision right there. And his name is Jesus. And I will say this, that I am a man under authority. Pastor Vickers is my boss. And I submit to his leadership unapologetically. Because that's how the kingdom works. It don't matter where this church started. It matters where we are now. And I am a man under authority. So probably I probably should have consulted Pastor Vickers about this. <laughs> but you know what? I am so confident of his heart and that we are in one spirit and one accord. I know that he feels the same way I do about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And I, I have no qualms about putting that up and stamping his approval on it because I know his heart. That's, that is his vision. This is nothing new. This is God's vision. This just happens to be the way this particular church will go about it. I heard uh, somebody made it, said that well, I've been at this church a long time, and I never heard this, this vision. I, you know, I heard some of the other things, but nobody ever told, nobody ever said this vision. We never got this far, hallelujah. We ain't never been this far. All before was leading up to this. I'm just telling you what I feel. The best question would be, how do we begin? And that's what throws a lot of people for a loop. Oh, no. Now pastor's going to say, we got to meet on Thursdays or something, Fridays. What are you going to? 
What are we going to do? How are, I mean, that's, that's, and a lot of you are feeling overwhelmed. God would say, just relax. Just relax. I believe we simply continue to press toward the mark that we already have now. It's going to be God that works it out along the way. Course corrections, all those things. We just continue to seek God and do the things we know to do. We continue to try to fill this building, fill these purple chairs, outgrow this place, and get a place of our own. That We had already talked about that. That's our goal. That's our mark right now, isn't it? To fill this place so that we can't even meet here anymore for the amount of people, have a couple services, have the finances, and then find the place. God will open the door before us, and we go get a place of our own. That's a mark for us. It doesn't get there, but it moves in the right direction. Amen? Then we, as we do now, the, we begin to put pl- uh, processes in place, guidelines. Every department begins to be able to repl- replicate themselves for future generations. We know how we do things. We begin to explain our DNA in every department. Does that make sense? To ensure that our future church plants stay true to the core values of the seed that's being planted. Y'all are tired, ain't you? Do I need to quit? I'm sorry, you know, the worship just was too good to quit. I couldn't stop. We stay focused, we keep everything within the parameters of our vision, and we don't get distracted. We continue to grow church leaders. We plant the seed, we water the seed, and God will give the increase. We just got some, we just know what we're building now. We just know where we're going. We have to believe bigger than we ever have before, though, because now we have bigger, loftier goals than we've ever had. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to press? I said it notates a, a consistent persistence. Press. I'm always pressing. Always pressing. I got a never quittery attitude. I'm whole hoggish. Consistently persistent. So we press towards the mark. of the See, that, our mark, we know what our mark is. We have our goals for this year. We get our goals this year. We get our goals next year. We have a long-range plan. We, we're moving towards the final destination. I, the, the mark, I always like to view it as this. I may have explained it to you before. You ever been to a bowling alley? And a lot of you, when you go bowling, you're looking at those pins, and you let her rip, and it may or may not get down to the end of the alley, Right? Just for those who never bowled much, why don't you try looking about 10 feet in front of you, there's little arrows. And they're there for a reason. That's your mark. So when you let go, you're shooting for the mark. And if you hit the mark, it'll hit the pins. And you'll score in the end. Amen? All right, so that's what we do. We t- How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Amen. A major enemy of accomplishing your vision is another vision. So, nothing kills your vision like another vision. So, we got to stay true to our vision. So, you know, we can't 
begin somewhere along the line six years later when we're bored with that, say, well, that's, that's other churches doing that. Let's do what they do. We have to trace true to our vision. Let's see what else. We can either dial in on our vision or we can circle aimlessly in the wilderness like Moses did. There's things that we can do to shorten our trip. Paul said his advantage was that he labored harder than the others. So there's notates that there may be some work involved. If you want to be the best church, you're probably going to have to do the most work. But real focus is born out of clear vision. Real focus is born out of clear vision, and now we have a clear vision. God bless you all. It takes great faith, great sacrifice, great determination on our part, but we have great people. We have everything we need. We have great faithfulness in most of our people. We have all the ingredients. Our seed is the world-changing DNA of Jesus. And our God's a world-changing God. Remember when I said it only took Jesus 33 years? Let me see somebody's bulletin. Let me see your bulletin. Do you think Jesus did any of these things? Continually seek God? Don't limit God? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, whatever it is. Write the vision, post it before your eyes. You know, he is the Word of God, so I guess in a way, begin to study and learn all the practical wisdom you can about how to implement. When he was 12 years old, he told his mama, didn't you know I'd be in the house of God? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? He was studying and learning with the teachers of the day. It says his, that he would get up in his uh, synagogue to read as was his custom. He was in the Word of God even as a young man before he started his ministry. Did he list practical steps to take in that direction? Do you know every second of Jesus' life was planned out? I mean, the stars came together when the... When he was born. Be patient and rejoice over every achievement. We often see Jesus rejoicing over the victories of his disciples and stuff. Allow the Holy Spirit to make course corrections. Never venture outside the confines of biblical instructions. Well, we know he didn't do that. Walk with God daily. Make sure your heart stays pure and all you do is for God's glory. Isn't that what he said he came to do? And he's supposed to be our example. See, Jesus simply knew his who, who he was. He found himself in Scripture. He recognized who he was. He knew why he had came. He knew how to accomplish his task. He knew where he was going to the cross, to the tomb. And to the right hand of the Father. And, it, and he knew when. He knew on the Passover. He knew exactly when it must be accomplished. God knows all these things. Jesus knows all these things. And now we're going to follow their lead and accomplish our task just like Jesus accomplished his. Could you?
for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.